Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good... Bad slash crazy, I think, in our middle martini, and uh, also uh, crazy for our third one today. But, uh, Jim, let's start with the good, and it's a caveated good. Kamala Harris is finally headed for the U.S.-Mexico border. She's going to go tomorrow to El Paso. I don't know how much is going to get uh, done or how much she's going to see on this trip. She Will she just fly in and meet with some officials and fly out? Will she actually go to a, a migrant holding center? Kids in cages, depending on uh, what terminology we're using these days. Uh, a lot of folks on the right are, are getting some uh, some glee out of this because they assume the only reason she's going is because President Trump announced last week that he's going to be there next week. And so she's got to get there before he does. So uh, either way, she's going, which is what we've been asking for for a long time. And uh, hopefully she'll see something that actually leads to a coherent policy, although I think that might be asking too much. What do you think? It is probably asking too much, Greg, but there are two good things that come out of this. The first is that for as long as this has been an issue, and I've listened, 91 days have passed between Biden appointing Harris. Uh, he never used the term border czar, but he basically said that stemming the tide of migrants coming from Central America was part of it. There was this, there's been this really strong argument, or this, I shouldn't say strong, I should say this impassioned argument from Harris and her defenders that her sole focus was on the triangle of countries and, and the idea of these enacting these long-term root cause solutions and that she never really was in charge of border enforcement. Now, if you go back and you look at uh, what Biden said, it was not that specific, and it's certainly talking about stemming the tide of migration. Nothing he said said you should not go to the border, and it seems kind of ridiculous to say, yeah, I have this, you know, the border is completely unrelated to the issue of migrants coming across the border. Um, now, the other people want to say, oh, this is just a useless photo op. For, fine, but now she's doing it. So now it's total reversing of situation. She's insisted for three months this is a useless photo op that does nothing. And now she's saying she's willing to do the useless photo op that does nothing. I don't think that argument necessarily uh, works. And I think that if you really want to have an effective policy, look, if you want to address economic development in Central America, if you want to address the you know, long-term effects of climate change in Central America, you can do those things. But none of those things are going to make any changes you know, anytime in the near future. So probably it's going to take years before you start seeing any fruit from that labor. In the meantime, this is a border security issue. You do have to address it right at the border where people are coming in here. And I think this is a you know enormous. Uh, you know, she she kind of shot herself in the foot with this. She said she traded one bad news cycle for three months of being asked about this and Republicans beating the drum on this. Now she's conceded that it's a legitimate point that yes, the person who's addressing border security issues for the administration, the the you know de facto border czar or whatever you want to call her role really does have to go to the border at some point. It is a legitimate concern. It is a legitimate point. She can't just laugh it off or say, oh, I haven't been to Europe either or something like that. And the second thing is, look, we've had three straight months of the worst number of people being caught at the border in 20 years. And so this is not a brief seasonal pattern, as, as Biden said early on. Hopefully her visit will remind people, hey, this problem that was getting a lot of attention early on in the Biden administration, it didn't go away. Nothing really changed other than the media lost interest in it. 
and you know, much like that, you know, tree falling in the forest and nobody's around to see it. The problems at the border don't go away if it doesn't show up on the CBS Evening News. The problem doesn't go away if CNN or the Washington Post or the New York Times or somebody else doesn't talk about it very much. Customs and Border Protection is still dealing with the same issues now that they were. Maybe in the summer heat this will mitigate it, but I think we need something a little more a little more effective than just counting on the summer heat to keep migrants away. Yes, I'm glad she went down there and said the border is closed, we are not letting people in and things like that. Look, I think migrants are not migrants are not stupid. They can look, they can figure out this is a different administration that kept promising they're going to do things differently than Donald Trump. They interpreted that as the border is open. And the only thing that will stop that is if Harris and Biden start talking about the border in the emphatic terms. They don't have to echo everything Trump said, but they really have to emphasize, no, we are not enacting an amnesty. And clearly the migrants don't think they really believe it. And I think the migrants may be a little bit sharper than everyone expects. So anyway, that's the situation there. It's good that she's finally relented on this. And maybe this can spur a real discussion about what is a genuine crisis on our border that a lot of people in Washington want to close their eyes and pretend isn't going on. Do you think she makes this trip if Trump wasn't planning to go? That probably was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I, I think what's interesting is that she did the interview with Lester Holt. She got, you know, the, the trip overseas didn't go well. The interview with Lester Holt didn't go well. And as I, I noted, yes, CNN had some brutal coverage of her. And we're not used to CNN, you know, ripping Kamala Harris to shreds. So you're seeing people go, well, she's never been a good communicator. Whoa, 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 wait, what's that again? I don't remember hearing that before. <laughs> I'm observing that before, but I didn't hear CNN telling us that, you know, she's a bad communicator. Um, and the fact that, and you started seeing some blind quotes from administration officials suggesting she's in over her head. Now, maybe these are Biden folks who have, you know, didn't like adding her to the ticket and have always had a, uh, an axe to grind since the initial, that little girl was me and you're a racist, Joe, <laughs> comment in that first debate. But it's really kind of intriguing. And I think that she didn't announce, yes, I'm going to the border right after the Lester Holt one, does make me think that, okay, Trump will go into the border and, you know, whatever he was going to say there would really be too much... Um, too much reputational damage for her to sustain. Best to head it off, rip off the Band-Aid, do the visit, take the lumps, and then be able to move on to you know another aspect of this debate and this discussion. I assume she's not actually going to uh, visit with any of the migrants. She might. If she does, I'm sure she won't be on camera. But I can only imagine if the migrants uh, say something to the effect of, well, you guys said no deportations in the first hundred days, so we yes, saw that yeah. as an invitation, and her response is going to be to laugh and go, "It was a campaign." Um, yeah, I was going to say, "Oh, Greg, she'd just find that laughable." Yes, exactly. That's her response to everything. All right, she hasn't been to Europe either. They warned you I was a cop. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about uh, getting yourself ready for the 4th of July, uh, summer cooking, uh, just getting better and, uh, and and craftier in the kitchen. And to do that, you're going to need the best possible tools. And Maiden's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. I am not among any of the world's best chefs. Uh, I pretty much use uh, the, the, the skillet that uh, we got to make scrambled eggs, as I mentioned before. I've also uh, just used it to, uh, to, to heat things up, maybe brown some meat. 
again, I'm not good in the kitchen. Mrs. Corumbus is far, far better. Uh, but the thing I noticed is that it does heat more evenly than the uh, than the other cookware that we had before and promptly threw out once we had a chance to, to try and made in. Uh, the food tastes great, and it's also very, very easy to clean. Sometimes you get this uh, nonstick stuff and, uh, you know, the stuff starts to kind of kind of chip off and, and peel off after a while, and you, you don't know how much of that ends up in your plate. But uh, with this uh, stainless steel uh, cookware that we've got, from Made In. Uh, again, the cooking is great and the cleanup's easy too. Made In. And by the way, that's M-A-D-E space I-N, not Made In as in Made In Voyage. Made In produces professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Made In products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and they stay sharp. They have 28,000 five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Made in is better cookware for better meals. And if you are listening to the Three Martini Lunch between June 21st and June 27th, And since today is June 24th, that means you probably are. You are in luck. Maiden is doing its only sale of the year. Now through June 27th, you can get industry pricing. That's right, the same price that Maiden gives Michelin star restaurants that buy in bulk, up to 25% off site-wide. Go to madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code martini for 25% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code martini. All right, Jim, so that's what Kamala Harris is doing tomorrow. Let's talk about what Joe Biden did yesterday. Biden, uh, fresh off getting stopped by Republicans on the uh, elections bill earlier this week, is now pivoting to guns. He brought Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, to the White House to talk about a number of things that they're doing. One of them is actually a pretty commonsensical idea, and that's, you know, enforcing existing gun laws, which for some reason uh, a lot of people in Washington don't feel like doing. But uh, if they're applied fairly, hopefully that's a good thing. Uh, They're also talking about going after what he calls rogue dealers, and a lot of dealers are now wondering uh, whether that's going to be on the up and up. But uh, Biden also uh, went back to his old line about how the Second Amendment was never meant to be absolute, and there have always been restrictions. And a lot of what he says here is simply not true. But he's also taken a page, Jim, out of the Eric Swalwell uh, book of uh, being able to defend yourself against a, a tyrannical government. So here's Biden yesterday at the White House. The Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy a cannon. Those who say the blood of the the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there are never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government. You need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that there's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit, the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. So Jimmy's wrong about a lot of stuff, including whether or not you can own cannon then or now, quite frankly. But uh, trotting out the Oh, you think your guns are going to save you against the government? Well, we've got F-15s and nukes. So uh, that's got to be reassuring for everyone. 
Greg, there are a lot of times I could say, I have no idea what Joe Biden is saying. <laughs> this is one of those circumstances we can add. I have no idea why Joe Biden is saying what he's saying, because if you spend even just one nanosecond thinking about it, and you think, huh, we have a problem with a lot of Americans who are unnecessarily and unnaturally paranoid about the federal government. They don't trust the federal government. Instead of seeing it as this institution that is necessary for the functioning of our ordered liberty of our free society, uh, instead of being a necessary guardian of our rights, they regard it with suspicion, with distrust, even with outright hatred. How can I tell these people that this worldview is wrong and that we are not a menace that is out to get them? Well, I can threaten to nuke them. Uh, and that undoubtedly will make them feel more reassured. And I can remind them that I have more power, firepower than they do, and that if push comes to shove, I can crush them. Um, I mean, that, that pretty much would calm everybody down, don't you think, Greg? <laughs> you know, again, it, it is, if Biden set out to fuel paranoia, he couldn't have done it much better than himself, other than maybe speaking a little bit clearer and the, and the thoughts less meandering. Um, also implicit in that is that, ha, that Thomas Jefferson character, what did he know? You know, <laughs> that quote about the. Now, here's the thing. I will not, look, is, is there a potential danger of somebody who's just a little too enthused uh, about believing that everything is a menace to liberty and is just kind of itching to shed that bloodshed? Absolutely. And we, we learned this, Greg, from the cinematic classic, The Rock. Um, Ed Harris may have seemed like a good guy. And in the end, he didn't want to use chemical weapons against the innocent people of San Francisco. Uh, although my understanding is that actually chemical weapons probably would be more useful uh, and less of a health menace than the the dog droppings that are on every street corner. Dog droppings? Um, I, my tongue is in cheek as I say this, but just an observation. They're, yeah, can I get people who kind of can quote that a little too enthusiastically and look like they're itching for a fight with the government? Yes. But in the vast majority of these cases, you know, you, you do get the occasional compound that decides to, uh, you know, barricade itself or something like that. But most of this is big talk, not a potential threat to secede or start a revolution or, or something like that. Um, but Greg, but, but the other thing is that you know, if you believe, ha, isn't it ridiculous, these guys think they could, you know, overthrow the government. Greg, haven't we been told for like now six months that we nearly lost our democracy on January 6th? True. That's what we've been told. Yes. I mean, one or the other. Pick one, guys. That's, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. By an unarmed uh, group. So, but yeah, they, they, they can't keep a consistent message. And, uh, you know, the demagoguery on this issue, it just uh, knows no bounds. I mean, uh, they're not going to get what they want in the Senate, no matter how much he pounds the table on this. Uh, watching uh, your very good friend Cam Edwards respond to uh, really any liberal talking about guns, but Joe Biden in particular, is always a, an educational process because, you know, even though you don't necessarily have the, the facts and the data at your fingertips, Cam will show up on, on Twitter pretty fast and, and set the record very straight. Um, but the other thing a lot of people noticed is that even although he wandered off script at times, even when he was kind of sort of on script, he kind of looked dazed and confused, which I know is old news because it happens constantly but uh even more people than usual seem to be concerned about that yesterday well he's in an easy job greg i mean you know it's, <laughs> it's not like there's a lot of stress involved <laughs> well maybe he just needs more rest and if he wants to get the best possible night's rest he needs my pillow jill too why not uh look the my pillow is uh the pillow i've been using for a number of years now way better than anything i had before way better than anything I've had to use since, whether it's at a hotel or, or, or anywhere else where I can't take my MyPillow. So uh, for a limited time right now, you can get a queen-size premium MyPillow for only $29.98. 
and king-size pillows are only $5 more. The premium pillows never go flat. They give you the best night's sleep every night. They're made in the U.S. with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Enter the promo code MARTINI or use it when you call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, you'll want to take advantage of the deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including their Giza Dream bed sheets and the new MySlippers. So get your premium MyPillow today for just $29.98. But you're only going to get that price with our promo code MARTINI. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, let's talk about our last martini, our other crazy martini here, and that is... Climate change and China and how the libs are actually helping China get away with pretending they care about it. Uh, This is from the Free Beacon. Good work here by Colin Anderson. In 2017, the Center for American Progress, that's an outfit that's long been affiliated with John Podesta, for example, released a report praising China's truly impressive, quote unquote, shift away from coal. The report came after the liberal think tank's energy experts met with Chinese government officials quote, to find out what is really happening with the communist nation's emissions trajectory. China's leaders, those experts concluded, had made the strategic choice to crack down on coal-fired power and, quote, grab the clean energy bull by the horns. Fast forward four years and the opposite has occurred. In the months following CAP's visit to China, the country began rapidly growing its coal power capacity as government officials prioritized economic growth over intermittent and unstable renewable energy sources. The think tank has since acknowledged this trend, debunking its own report and the Chinese regime's promises in the process. So, Jim... I guess the CAP can now join a fraternity that includes the World Health Organization, where when you take the guided tour in Beijing, guess what? Communists lie to you. What do you think of this? Yeah, so in past editions of The Morning Jolt, and I think on this podcast at some point, Greg, I've mentioned the book by Josh Rogan, who writes for The Washington Post. He was the guy who had the scoop about that State Department memo about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. His new book came out earlier this year. It's called Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Um, A lot of it is about the relationship between Trump and and China. The last chapter has got some great stuff on the pandemic, but there's a, the middle chapters um, are really, it gets a really deep dive into Chinese influence operations here in the United States, uh, particularly the chapters, the bingo club and plowshares into swords. And the short, I, it would take me a lot of time to lay out all the fascinating information he puts in there. But the short version is, whatever you think of the Chinese government's operations designed to influence public opinion and pub, influence public policy here in the United States, it's 10 times bigger than anything you imagine. You may have heard a little bit about the universities here and there. We've all seen what we've uh, seen from corporate America, and, you know, LeBron James and the NBA and, and things like that. It is astonishingly far-reaching. Everything from congressional staffers who are given free junkets to visit China, um, all kinds of efforts to, you know, all, all kinds of like friendship associations and very innocuous-sounding organizations. And what it, what it is is that, you know, for the last 20, you know, 30 years, the Chinese government has had access to an enormous amount of money. Uh, unlike the Soviet Union, which tried to stick to communist ways and found out that it was economically not functional, 
the Chinese government, give them credit. They realized the threat right around the time of Tiananmen Square and said, okay, we're going to allow just enough capitalism so that our economy is thriving, but we're going to remain every bit as authoritarian as we ever were. And we're not going to allow freedom of speech and we're not going to allow criticism of the government and things like that. Well, the end result is when you have slave labor, de facto slave labor, when you have no really no environmental standards, when you have really you know, utter total cooperation from the government in maximizing productivity, you lo and behold can turn into a really big economic power really fast and they are now knocking on the door of overtaking us. Maybe some people would argue they've already overtaken us as is. They're an enormous economic power. This gives them enormous amount of money and lo and behold, all throughout the United States, in all corners of our, not just our economy and our society, there are people who are e who have their hands out, who are eager to take this money. You see it in academia, you see it in Hollywood. Um, he doesn't lay out any deliberate uh, US media institutions that are on the take from the Chinese government, but you've probably seen China Daily, you've probably seen uh, a, a whole bunch of other English language, Chinese state-run media institutions that are putting out their messages everywhere and all kinds of other institutions and society, think tanks, as you mentioned, uh, Center for American Progress, um, they've all ended up accepting donations, not from the Chinese government, usually it goes through some sort of corporation or some sort of third party uh, institution, but anyway, you know, like in the end, the money's still coming from China and they're not shy about saying, hey, your funding is based upon the concept of us being good buddies and you promoting you good US Chinese relations, which is all about downplay all of our sins, downplay all of our crimes, human rights abuses and things like that. Talk about how important pros mutual prosperity is and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. It is a just mind boggling um, effect on this. Uh, let me find the list of the institutions that he points out have taken significant amount of money that you basically can trace back to the um, uh, to the Chinese government. You can talk about the Brookings Institution, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, Center for Strategic International Studies, Center for American Progress, and the Atlantic Council. Oh, wait, there's two more because it's also the Carter Center. And most depressingly to me, Greg, the George H.W. Bush Foundation, mm. um, which are obviously you know both uh, non-governmental organizations, but have basically have become de facto, or at least China-friendly voices in U.S. public policy and not always disclose the fact that they've gotten large donations from often Chinese billionaires with deep ties to the Chinese government. Wow. Hey, happy Thursday, everybody. <laughs> yeah, two other things stand out in this report. Uh, it says here that uh, Center for American Progress acknowledged China's deeply concerning expansion of coal power in a 2021 assessment, noting that the trend contradicts many expert opinions that China's economic growth had already decoupled from coal consumption. However, the think tank did not cite its own experts from its study four years earlier. And China now is in the process of constructing an additional 246 gigawatts of coal power, nearly six times Germany's entire coal fleet. And if you, you know, want to put that in comparison, you know, it takes 1.21 gigawatts to get a DeLorean from one time period to another one. So 246 is a lot. It is, and it's it's bad. It uh, you know like. You know, if you've ever felt like, wait, who's making these policies? Who does our government answer to? Reading through that list and seeing just how far uh, reaching the Chinese government's influence is, you just begin to get a sense of the scale of the problem. And uh, the, the if, you, if you don't want to see the United States effectively knuckling under and becoming uh, a part of, uh, you know, a de facto client state of, uh, uh, of, of China, we got a lot of work ahead of us, Greg. 
We sure do. We sure do. Uh, it's exhausting. And so I'm going to go on vacation starting tomorrow and throughout the next <laughs> week. So, Jim, I'll leave it to this you. There's no time for resting. I'll have a good vacation, Greg. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, have a good week. Have a good fourth. And I'll see you on July 5th. I, I will see you then as well, Greg. Take care. Thank you, sir. Your Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. We're very, very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join Jim and Chad on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. The border crisis is getting worse, and so is big tech censorship. Hi, this is Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, I explain the problems that are happening at our southern border that are a direct result of Biden administration policies. And I'm staying on top of the left in big tech, trying to stifle the freedom of speech for conservatives and anyone who dares to challenge their narrative. Join me as we take on these massive challenges that impact all of us. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.